you know, as we're running from work and we're running to the barn and our horses are our escape, you know, all right, just stop and go, okay, what am I actually escaping from here? And what energy am I bringing to the barn? Because I can guarantee your horse already knows what energy it is before you've left work. And they will respond to that. And they are like sponges. They're taking that in. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. A place where we love to bring consciousness to the horse world. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Terrible Country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present, and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. In this episode, I speak with Jane Roberts from Equijay. Jane is here to bring the feminine back to the horse world. So, what does that mean exactly? Well, you'll hear more about it in the interview, but let me just say that you know the trainers who I've interviewed on this podcast who are going deeper into giving the horses a voice and a choice and working with the horses as a collaboration instead of a dominance and power play model of horsemanship. Well, that's what Jane is here to teach as well, and it's in her own unique and really deep style. Jane's knowledge of nutrition is extraordinary, and her level of consciousness around the horse's emotional state and their nervous system and their ability to absorb nutrients, well, it's groundbreaking. I'm so excited to speak to someone like Jane and have her tell her story for you. Her three pillars plus her embodiment of the feminine, plus her deep love of horses, will hopefully help and support you to make the changes you possibly always thought about or maybe never considered for your horse. Either way, the world is a better place for you opening up to what it is that Jane has to say. Here is Jane. Jane, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Good morning. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We've had a long conversation a while ago, so I'm excited to get into what it is that you do. Can you first tell me just a little bit about that? Yes, certainly. Um, On paper, I am an equine scientist and nutritionist. Um, Where that journey has led me really to this point is um, finding the feminine in the ride um, has really become my focus um, in my personal practice and also my clinical practice with um, with the people that I work with, with the women that I work with. Um, and that does not sound very science-based, so I'm really, really <laughs> interested to hear my favourite part is, you know, the the what my training is, what I really do and the story that got us there. So let's start from the beginning. Did you grow up with horses? I, my um, father's side of the family were farmers. So um, my great grandfather was very horse orientated. He was a big Appleby um, fair man, um, loved his colored horses and sort of bought and traded those. My granddad skipped a generation and went into farming. um, And my dad entirely skipped the whole farming thing and ended up in pubs and restaurants with my mom. So no, technically no, in the past sort of couple of generations, I did not have that influence, but we had the pony on the farm that I kind of bopped around on. Um, and then when my parents 
got their first pub business, I became, um, there was a stables about 50 feet from the pub and that became my place to just hang out all day, every day, whilst, um, you know, my parents sort of worked all hours in the pub trade. So from about the age of six, I started taking formal lessons, um, British Horse Society Pony Club type of background. Then um, I got into the competition side of things. So that was mainly show jumping um, at the time. And also it was a dealer's yard. So I got to ride a lot of horses coming in and going out, a lot of problem horses actually, um, who unfortunately tended to be on the way to the slaughterhouse and, and we would sort of be the final pit stop to see if there was absolutely anything we could do with them before um, they went for slaughter. So it was a pretty rough and tumble um, introduction into, literally tumble introduction into, um, into horsemanship and a lot of it that needed to be left behind. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of it that I didn't appreciate. Um, although I learned a lot of lessons from it. So when so I taught in a more traditional way, yes, absolutely. For the, for, for the first probably year and it was very, um, in an arena, um, very, very sort of military style pony club, British Horse society type of deal. And then a little bit more when we moved, bit of more sort of um, the combat competitive scene. And then it came to that beautiful first shift, um, a feeling and sort of in a horsewoman's life when we go into that, those teenage years and have to then decide what we're going to go on and do in terms of a career. And um, so vet, you know, the usual things come up, vets and stuff like that. But I, I just wasn't really interested in, in going down that line at the time. So I had a fantastic opportunity to do equine science at bachelor degree level, which we were the first lot coming through. Um, so I got to just sit and learn about horses for four years and um, play with them on the treadmills and kind of understand them from a very scientific point of view. Where did you study that? That was at Bishop Burton College. They uh, have a phenomenal facility there now. Um, I went back when I went back home last year um, and it was just, it's just so lovely to see how they've grown from such a very small, I mean, we were kind of the, they used to look at us because they used to say, oh, here come the white coats, you know, they don't know how to put a halter on a horse because they're the scientists and they like to be in the labs. And um, we were in fact very, you know, very sort of established horse people in our own rights, even though there's only seven of us. But uh, so, yeah, it was, it was just nice to go back and see how that has evolved as a, as a huge um, educational facility now for both all the way right through to Bachelor of Science, right from just sort of national certificate, very much hands-on level. Um, so that was the first leg up into the science world of horses. Um, and then when I graduated with that, I went straight into lecturing at a further education college in Durham, which was land-based um, horses, really, because our English industry is very different. Our British industry is quite unique um, to what it is, say, for example, in the US, which uh, I lived in the US for 13 years, and, and even here, it's, it's a very, very structured, very well-worn path. Um, so 
so that sort of has stood me in good stead to look at the industry through different eyes in different countries that I've, I've walked through subsequently. But those two years were great with the students. I loved working on the yards with the students. I loved helping them understand their horses from a, um, a deeper level. But I just felt I was really too close to, um, too close, still too close to the students. I felt like I needed to sort of go out and get a bit of real world experience. Um, because you, as a teacher, you're really mentoring as well. You really need to be there for the, the stuff underneath um, that comes up, especially when working with horses. So yeah, um, I took off traveling and to cut a very long story short, ended up in South Georgia in the US, um, which was about as completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of all aspects of life um, than I had been used to in Newcastle um, back at home. So, and I was fortunate enough there to actually um, reach out to an equine vet, um, solo ambulatory practice. And all we did for 10 years was get in the vet truck and go play with horses, um, you know, chopping things off, injecting things, cutting, you know, cutting testicles, you know, whatever it was, it was just in a field, making the best of, you know, good surgical technique and actually just dealing with what we were faced with. Mm. Um, a lot of life lessons learned um, in that, in that industry. And it really didn't feel like a job, but what I started to notice was that we were going out and just putting band-aids on things, bigger and bigger band-aids. And um, I remember sitting in the vet truck one day, it was around about, it's probably about 2006, 2007, and we were just seeing an explosion of um, laminitic horses, obesity that we couldn't get on top of, um, endocrine problems that were just escalating um, out of control we just we really didn't know how to deal with them and I just I just wanted to know more I wanted to dive deeper into that and and not be part of perpetuating the whole sort of consumptive vet med world that I think we've fallen into in many respects um, and need to kind of dig ourselves out of so that along with deciding I wanted a family took me sort of out of the field itself and back into education, back into going and doing my master's degree in equine science um, at the University of Edinburgh online and just digging even deeper because I, you know, I just wanted to know more. I wanted answers. I wanted to really help people understand their horses more and what their horses really needed and how we could better provide for that in our human confines in our human world and um, during that degree do you feel like you found it <laughs> no <laughs> I feel like it, it brought up a whole bunch more questions yeah um, yeah because our I mean don't the curriculum is phenomenal and we had um, the behavior module I loved dearly um, because it really answered a lot of questions as to what was going on and what we were seeing and the fact that a lot of the behaviors which have now become normal or funny or common sorry or you know funny or cute or anything but and they're they're really not they might be common but they're certainly not normal so um that blew the lid off things um for the first time because I started to just 
gradually shift how I was looking at things. Um, so again, the nutrition side of it, I've always been interested in the nutrition side of it. And we went into nutrition in a, at a deeper level, but again, it was very ration formulation orientated, um, all about facts and figures, um, not really looking at the individual animal and, you know, sort of his environment and all of these other factors that were going on to, um, to take into account in the bigger nourishment picture, you know, you can, you can feed a, a perfectly balanced diet and still not have a nourished animal. And that's clearly, I think what we're dealing with in many respects um, at the minute. So again, it's, yeah, it opened up a whole bunch more of a, of a can of worms. And then what really blew the lid off it all was we actually came on holiday here to Australia and we went to Corumban Wildlife Sanctuary and we were walking around. My daughter was about three and um, I was just amazed by how much effort they go to, to actually enrich the environment of what are technically wild animals um, in a sanctuary environment. And, you know, just to, how much they, how much detail they went into mimicking the natural behaviors for that animal, how they would, you know, maybe hide things. So the animal actually had to go and forage for that particular food, how they would cut and carry in different, um, you know, leaves and branches. And, and it just, I just started, I just looked at it and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we, we shove our horse in a stall. We feed it maybe one or two foragers if it's lucky varieties a day and then a bag of dead feed and how on earth can that be and it stands in the one place to do and it stands in its toilet yeah and its bedroom and its kitchen and it's everything next to somebody that you might not actually even like i mean Mm. you know let's face it you know we we kind of there's no choice in a horse's life anymore there's no um yeah so and then i started to understand sort of dig down into um, the, the sort of grassroots of a lot of our problems. And there was something that really stood out for me in our behavior module. And that was the basic behavioral needs, um, which for the horse are um, forage, social contact and movement, which we know to be forage, friendship and freedom. And I started to work with that with clients and just noticed how actually much better we could get if we just maybe tried to introduce a few different foragers, um, perhaps introduced another herd mate because so many horses get kept alone. Um, even in adjustment scenarios, they're still paddocked in single paddocks without any ability to touch another horse, even over the fence because there's often electric fencing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, which when you do that allows them to sleep and there's so many chronically sleep deprived horses because they don't feel safe enough to lie down, which is a whole other issue entirely. And then um, the movement side of things, the freedom side of things. So that is, you know, we, they may move three kilometers a day in a domestic setting in their free ranging setting. Then they can, you know, truck along to 80 kilometers a day. So in search of food and variety and water, isn't it? Yeah. And, and when we start to understand the deeper layers of, of how 
nourishing movement, natural movement is not arena movement because that's the junk food of movement. Um, when we start to understand, <laughs> uh, oh. oh, you've opened a can of work. Well, you? I'm sorry, but it is. And, and, and the gym for us humans is the junk food of movement. So yes, it's yeah, better look, than nothing. And what I was thinking before was, isn't it interesting that we've done to horses what we've done to ourselves? Because you look at the amount of time we spend sitting these days in front of the screen, yeah. doing so much of our stuff. We go to the gym, we think one hour at a gym, uh, you know, three days a week is enough. I'm totally with you on this. I'm just looking at the parallels that we're doing to our horses, the same thing that we're doing to ourselves as a species. I, that is really where my work is, is now is. I mean, you've just hit the nail on the head, Tracy. And that was kind of the, after I had fallen to my knees with the realization of what I had actually done to my horses over the 40 years of, of being a professional, it wasn't like I had just done it out of going to the stables every weekend for a ride. I had committed my whole entire life to, and very, and a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of very high education um, hours and books and research papers. And, you know, I'd spent a lot of time, in academia and I and I was actually contributing significantly to the problems that we were just were not getting on top of and until I sat on the yoga mat for me and actually started to feel what was going on in my body that was my major shift because wow. I realized so what took you to mm. yoga from science <laughs> let's go there first let's take the journey because that's we'll go deeper into that I promise you all right, I'm going to, all right, this is how it happened. So I went and did a workshop with a beautiful friend of mine, um, Mel Spital, who is also my photographer and a behaviorist and phenomenal human being, and another amazing friend of mine called Kerry Krieger. And we sat in the middle of a field in Canungra, and we did, totally out of my comfort zone, and we did a, um, a sort of a meditation-based visualization process um, and the long and short of it was the visualization that I was taking on for me was they took me into my library and took away all of my books and I about had and gave me a blank journal to write my own story and I Powerful. my nervous system <laughs> my nervous system was like I am out of here no, there's no way you're taking my, your, my books off me so that was about four years ago from there I followed, there weren't even breadcrumbs. It was just a, it was just a feeling. And I ended up signing up for um, feminine, sacred feminine embodiment yoga, 30 days on an island with 18 women at the top end of Bali with no phone reception, no nothing. Knowing that I had, I mean, I, I may have done some yoga. I did yoga when I was a lot younger and thought, oh, this is just kind of too boring and slow and ugh. You know, I was into the gym bunny phase at that point in time. So yoga was just kind of, mm -mm, no. So anyhow, I sat on a yoga mat one day and female yoga is very different to the traditional male lineage yoga that is kind of at the forefront right now. Um, so feminine embodiment yoga is first and foremost about working with your cycles as a woman. Um, which is our beautiful monthly menstrual cycle, but also our daily in um, sort of circadian rhythms and really tuning into what's going on in our body. Um, and I had numbed so much of it out because 
I'd spent so much time in my head, I'd kind of lost all of these very strong signals that were coming up from my body to do something differently. So um, there was one day in particular, I remember feeling what it felt like to downregulate my nervous system into a parasympathetic state for the first time in as long as I can remember. And I realized right there and then the high anxiety pattern I had actually been running for, for a very long time. Um, actually, one of my horses called me out on it about a year before that, um, rather spectacularly, and I couldn't understand what was going on at the time. But then I realized that. So what I found was when I started to make shifts in my own life um, with my own relationship with myself um, and to really start tracking my cycle and understand who I was as a woman or who I am as a woman, as a cyclical woman who changes beautifully throughout the month, um, is not the same every day, um, and also changes you know, throughout the, the cycles of the year, I then started to see how I could then start applying that to how we, we sort of look at our horses and how they're cyclical beings. They are seasonal. You know, they, um, they rely on periods of feast and famine to reset their endocrine system. They rely on messages from their environment to say it's too hot, it's too cold, we need to huddle together, we need to go for a quick run around. Um, and how much we have sort of dampened all of that. And, and I guess as I walk through and shed layers and, you know, loosen the girth here and there and take off a noseband and um, I, I've just gotten to the point where I, the whole relationship with my horses going forward in this decade of my life and onwards looks um, so entirely different. It's actually quite scary <laughs> because I've had to really shed for the first 40 years mm. of what's not working anymore. Yeah, and go from, um, I imagine, for myself to start, it, it, it's, for me it's always been the start of thinking I know so much to stepping in and going, I actually don't know anything yeah. and I need to sit and listen. And the, the surrender, the amount of surrender that's in that and the amount of vulnerability that's in that is massive for me. And it's feeling... Um, the vulnerability, yes, is huge. And I think that we need more safe spaces for people to come into um, in our horse world, but also in, in the world in general, to actually feel that vulnerability and to speak from a place of truth because it will manifest its way through in some way, shape, form or fashion. And it's not usually pretty. So my manifestation of not listening to that was burnout, um, spectacular postnatal depletion burnout at about four years after my daughter was born. Um, so well, we can go on ignoring it, but it will eventually find the two by four and sort of smack us around the head with that. Um, but yeah, that for me, I think that when I realized that I felt like an entire fraud, I felt like all of these qualifications and, um, you know, all of these sort of certification, I just felt like I don't, deserve these 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 don't mean they don't they didn't have a real I worked damn hard for them but for the wrong reasons it, I worked for them to justify my existence um, as an external sort of validation and it didn't bring me that nourishment it brought me a beautiful path to keep digging deeper 
Yeah, and it laid a foundation of understanding. Very much, huge. Mm. And it's allowed me, don't get me wrong, it's allowed me to actually have a foot in that world because I do, you know, I love the science world. Um, I was born Jane with a Y. I want to know the reason why behind things. So the science world has given me that beautiful leg up into understanding that from um, the inquisitive mindset. It's just when it gets locked into that real... um, closed mindset and it's sort of my my way or the highway type deal that I just it loses its reason for being science to me so I'm kind of I think more inclined to be doing my own sort of rookie science um in this next in these next few years at least until maybe I might find something I want to delve into on a, at a PhD level but not at the minute um yeah, the, the vulnerability for me now and creating those spaces for people to come and start feeling themselves again um, and actually honouring what is coming up for them um, without judgment and needing it to be fixed or changed or anything is, is holding those spaces and see what, what comes up for horsemen in, in particular. Um, because I am a firm believer when you have a, a healthy, happy um herd uh, or human you have a healthy happy herd and and quite often us women are the head of that um and we hold enormous power to change huge problems in the world when we work together yeah i think that's why it was always planted in us um to to divide and conquer ourselves and put each other down for such a long time i think Mm. it was a it was a wonderful Mm. little tool that was planted in the subconscious a long time ago because they realized the power of what we could do if we stood up together and supported each other that i mean that that's so true and i was terrified to go and sit in that circle of 18 women i was absolutely terrified because i had not had a great um history with i mean our horse world is predominantly women but you start to look at it as an an energetic being and it's actually a quite a masculine it's a very masculine patriarchal energy that runs through that surges through our whole entire industry and there's a real call for the feminine energy to be brought back through because it was there you know we had goddess athena was actually the one who invented the bit and and sort of tamed the horse originally and she's never credited for that um, you know, the Amazons were the ones riding into battle on horses with bare backs and, and very little and, and doing a mighty fine job. And they don't tend to be credited for that either. So in going back and looking at our a sort of female relationship with horses way, way back in the goddess cultures, it's actually quite an eye opener into where that got ripped away from us too. And um, of course, now we deal with a very sort of military um, cavalry style um, man must dominate all type of um, dominance theory energy. And we need to drop that. Horses are so incredibly collaborative and synchronistic. And I think when we start to sync with ourselves a little bit better and collaborate with ourselves, we might just see a whole different relationship emerging with our horses. Mm, I agree. Let's talk a little bit more about the masculine and feminine energy. So this is um, this is not man versus woman. No, it's not. 
This is in um, no place. There's, this is every human has that balance, don't we, of a masculine and, and feminine energy within us. We do. And, and we have this, um, we also have a very, what we could call a toxic masculine and a toxic fem, feminine energy too. And that is what tends to get played out um, and used as a tool of mass manipulation. Um, so what are a, they? Let's talk through them so, all. Masculine energy is? Yeah, so your masculine energy is kind of, I look at it as sort of, um, it's the structure, it's the container, um, it's getting stuff done. Um, if you've got a real healthy masculine relationship with yourself, you show up for yourself. You know, you have, um, we do have sort of, I need to get this accomplished this week. Um, it's, it's quite a sort of linear um, energy feel to it. Mm. Our um, feminine energy is what can then be created in that very strong masculine container. So it's about sort of the, the care, the nurture, the collaboration. Um, yes, I need to get X, Y, and Z done, but how can I make that look? Uh, how can I sort of fall in love with that to-do list? I have got taxes to do and I'm kind of like, okay, can I light a candle and put some flowers in the corner of the room um, and maybe have some chocolate on the go to make it just a little bit more nurturing and um, not as clinical um, and the flow and, and the creativeness yeah. and the feeling yeah. that goes with the doing. Yes. The feel yeah. is so incredibly important. And, and like you touched on before with the sort of how we've been stripped of that, um, of that power to be really in touch with that. It's, it's really affected all genders. It's not just a, um, you know, a, a male or female thing. And I think that when we get, when we do the work behind going in and really reclaiming a healthy relationship with our masculine and feminine energies, because women in particular live in the masculine. We live in a very masculine energy world where it's all, it's goal orientated. It's all about production. It's all about ripping, you know, ripping what we can out of what's right in front of us and, and making something with it or selling it or, and, and the feminine energy is a restorer energy. We're a restorative species by default. Um, and that is really what starts to, what needs to come through to really help balance that very um, depleting, especially for women, masculine energy. Because we are designed to, the first two weeks of our cycle, we're kind of very similar to men um, in that we can you know, get a lot done hormonally as well. We're actually quite similar to men in our second half of the cycle. We tend to sort of want to clear the decks. We want to go inwards. We want to withdraw and have our own mini detox um, retreat session. And the world doesn't allow for that. Mm. And um, we pay for that big time as, as women and men. Um, Cause that's so a restoration I'm, moment too, yes. isn't it? The going within absolutely and we have this every month and then you know we still have it if we look at the seasons winter would traditionally be that time when we would all ideally withdraw inside and you know have have sort of a more of a darker restorative phase but women do that every month um mm -hmm. you know we're primed to do that every month and we just don't take advantage of that or we're just not told how to do that and um yeah that i think oh, that's yeah. a game changer that mm -hmm is an absolute game changer Let's, when we tap into that. 
Yeah, let's talk about the toxic masculine and feminine energy. But first of all, I want to say you can see with the masculine and feminine, um, with the two energies themselves, they don't fight against each other. They complement each other. It's and they so work so beautifully yeah. together. Mm-hmm. You know, without one, we get nothing done. Without the other, life's a bit boring. So, and, and not as nourishing and, and has as much meaning to it. So you can see that the battle between um, man, woman, masculine, feminine has nothing to do with the energies themselves. They're pure and they work beautifully together. It, it is an extremely collaborative. Um, polarity is a beautiful thing. You know, polarity makes the world go round. We need to have, um, we just need to have opposites. And, and, and often there'll be times even just in a, um, in a, a man, woman, relationship and I'll take you know take mine as an example because that's what I know and there'll be times where I need to step up and and kind of get stuff done because that's just what needs to be done but there are times when I need to come in and just go oh I need to just have this breakdown right here and now I need to just be held um I need to feel everything that is just surging through me right now and then the masculine energy from you know my husband really has to step up and take over and and if that doesn't happen we as women can feel very unheard and unseen or often we get accused of being too much or emotional or oh god you must be you know due to to be on your period or there's always some you know we're just too much so mm-hmm. i think when men have also have an appreciation of that they get to go oh, okay this isn't going to last it's all going to be cool. Just give it about five days, but everything's going to be great again. We're going to be going back into summer and it's going to be a wonderful thing. So, but we just, we kind of lack an understanding and an empathy for each other as human beings and, you know, the land that we live on, the plants that surround us, the, you know, the relationships that we form. And I think if, if we can kind of go in and heal that real toxic masculine and feminine within ourselves, the sacred child comes back out to play again. Great. Toxic first, then sacred child. Yes. And it emerges so beautifully, you know. So what and are the toxic energies of masculine and feminine so we can recognize them in us? Um, yeah. So toxic masculinity would look very much like um, you can see it quite a lot in the high achievers. Um, so women who are in very high polluting roles who are constantly being on sort of go, 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 can be very cutthroat. Um, my mom in particular was, is, was a, a beautiful example of um, the toxic masculinity at work because she would just go explode on everybody and then like there was nothing ever happened and everyone was just sort of lying wounded in the corner um, from her words and, and she would just be kind of carrying on regardless um, because that was just the role she took on in the businesses. There was never any, um, there was never sort of any um, restorative time for her at all. And, and it really hit her in perimenopause and menopause. Um, she had a lot of health issues with that as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, the toxic feminine will, this is played out quite a lot in our industry. Um, so it'll often be seen as competitiveness, um, but from a very bitchy, gossipy, um, judgmental 
point of view and you know my horse is better than your horse or just that real barn if anyone's ever been in sort of a barn and has just never felt comfortable going down there because you always feel like the you know the they're gossiping in the corner about you or mm. that is sort of a toxic um, femininity playing out and like you said before it's keeping us apart from each other because when we get together and collaborate we become rather powerful beings and um, we're unstoppable I mean we you know we create life so we're, yeah. we're, we're pretty we're pretty magical um, and I just, I would love for women to, uh, this is one of the common things I hear when I work with clients, because we have so many horses that are on their own individual properties here, which is actually very different to the UK. So what will tend to happen is, they'll say, oh God, my neighbor must look over the fence and think I'm an absolute idiot. Or, um, and I'll say, well, have you, you know, there's a hay shortage. Have you kind of gone next door and just seen if you maybe if your neighbor has some hay that can keep you going or oh no I wouldn't dare do that she'd think I'm a really bad horse owner or you know I don't look after my horses properly or maybe her hair isn't as good as my hair and, uh, like, and oh. you see it on Facebook groups as well people are so afraid to put up something about their horse because yes. god in comes the experts of you know call a vet you shouldn't have horses you should be doing this you know if you can't afford to keep them don't have them it's yeah it is. And then the other thing that comes through from that is, is that is then women then go, what happened? I had this beautiful relationship with my horses when I was a child. They were just out in the field. I used to jump on them when I was a kid and we used to just can around and we didn't care. And it was, you know, they were healthy and they never got laminitic. And that's what's missing. The sacred child, that relationship that we had with our horses as the sacred child that was just full of joy and enthusiasm and, um, you know, wanting to, lap it all up we've lost that underneath the heavy drudge of this very toxic um this very toxic energy i think that we are buried under um in most definitely in the horse industry and but certainly in other other parts of of, the, um, of life too and can you think of um there's a few things i want to talk to you about when you've worked with people first of all um in the three F's that you're talking about before, yeah. how have you seen? Can you think of a certain thing that's uh, a certain horse and and person that's changed when you've done all of this with them? Um, I had a beautiful client who ended up um, with two of her daughter's show ponies, um, and these these had been show ponies that had been on the circuit for a very 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 long time. Um, I had sort of traveled up from Victoria and her daughter had gone on to do other things. So, and she said, I just don't, you know, I don't want them to go somewhere else. I feel like I have a, a responsibility. I don't know much about horses. Um, but I just know, I feel that this is not the way to keep them in a stall with these, all these supplements and things I've got to do every day. And it just seems so crazy. So we went in, um, and I always start there. They're very, very basic um, behavioral, scientifically proven behavioral um, foundations from which to springboard from. And I sort of went in there and we looked at, because we had endocrine problems, we had nutrition problems with both of them. We also had stereotypies that we were dealing with. Um, and it was fascinating to watch the one of the ponies in particular 
and this is this is actually how I ended up getting into trauma work. But one of the um, the ponies, I could not get to her um, in terms of switching off her hell bent need to feast her face twenty four seven because she had been deprived from having free choice forage for so long. Um, she just literally, it was like there was nobody in, and she just needed to eat. And quite often. The, if you could sort of give them the variety and make sure you've kind of taken care of the, of the other aspects of um, companionship and, and the ability to move and choose and things like that, it tends to reset itself after a couple of weeks. Um, but she just wouldn't. And she kept going and going and going. And I couldn't, you know, I had to start then diving deeper into what was happening from a nervous system perspective. But in just working with that client, she said, this is, so sim- this is actually so simple. And I said, it really actually truly is. Um, I'm not going to come in here and give you this really complicated protocol to follow because we need to take a step back and actually allow the horses to start remembering that they're horses again. And that can be the trickiest part is the weight period for you know for me because I want to go in there and fix everything and make sure everything's hunky dory straight away. Um, but for the owner in particular to just go, well, is this all I need to be doing? Um, so I think I learned I learned a lot actually from that client because she wasn't a horsey client. So it wasn't, you know, it was it was a very much a two-way process that that whole um, episode that I had working with her because I learned to really just nail down the simplicity of delivering a lot of information at a very sort of, um, you know, simple level. And the biggest thing was standing back and holding space until things started to drop into place. Um, And that's the difference that you made. So you were able to make that shift by simply kind of stepping back a little bit further. Yeah. I mean, it's, yes, it's literally. um, And sometimes we do have to go into, I do believe we're dealing with a lot of PTSD horses that we're just not actually um, realizing that's what we're dealing with. And that's a whole other avenue to, um, you know, to go down entirely. But, and she was sort of my opening into that, but I do believe that for the most um, horses that I work with, making those simple changes to just bringing more variety in, in terms of forage, stripping them off the, the GMOs, trying to get, any formulated feeds out of their diet they're just there's no there's just no wisdom there's no feedback in terms of nutritional wisdom going into a horse's body when it's being fed a bag of food day in day out that's formulated to be exactly the same day in day out Mm. it's it's just it's a very reductionist simply simple principle that might look good on paper but in practice we're it's failing pretty spectacularly and we only have to look at our chronic health statistics in our industry to see that um which is going to tick a lot of nutritionists off but that's really kind of where i'm at with it but to me now going forward nutrition is a behavior and nutritional problems arise as a result of restricting our animals from performing the behaviors they are designed and innately designed very, very, very well to perform. 
when we so it's like no you're right so it's like i'm trying to understand it's like if i'm really bored because i'm not able to go and, and move and do the things that i really innately need to do i'm just gonna eat anyway and i'll just yeah. eat what's in front of me and i'll just do it because i don't care so it's like a dulling of the senses yeah. in a way it's a it's a numbing there's actually no um once you dive into the neurochemistry of what's going on um in, in nutrition it, it's there i mean it, it it's kind of mind-blowing it's fascinatingly interesting and we don't still don't know sort of all of the pathways but we do know that mindfulness especially they've looked at this in humans um so mindfulness eating practices are now one of very effective tools that we use with any kind of eating disorders um whether that be overeating or under eating or eating the wrong thing they've actually done quite a lot of studies now with just tuning into what our body is actually saying and acting upon that instead of the oh god i'm procrastinating so i'm going to go and get a bag of chips out of the cupboard or I feel a little bit worried right now. I'm just going to go grab a bar of chocolate or I haven't got time. So I'm just going to grab this, you know, convenience food off the shelf. It's, it's, um, it's become a very disconnected um, feedback loop. Mm. So I see this actually a lot in horses. And if we can kind of really tap them back into that, um, that ad lib availability of a variety of foragers, they need to have, they, they eat like between 50 and 60 different species of green stuff a day in their natural environment. And, and anyone, anyone who um, doesn't understand that, just come to my place and watch my horses <laughs> rip through all my gardens. <laughs> <laughs> they do, they love it. And they eat things yeah. that I didn't think they'd touch, but all of a sudden all these little weeds are gone and half my gardens are gone. And I'm like, okay, so you like that as well. They eat so many different things. And, you know, you have, we've been terrified. We've been fear-mongered into, you know, the rules of feeding do not make any strict, you know, quick changes to a horse's diet and um, this horse will eat this and it, it will colic. And yes, there are, yes, that will happen. If we go out and buy a whole load of hay, that's quite different to the other load of hay and just go, oh, it's just hay and chuck it in. You will end up with a colicking horse because you've just fundamentally made a whole shift in the gut microbiome environment. Um, mm. But that wouldn't happen in his, in his free ranging state. You know, nature doesn't quickly go, oh, let's just pop this up here like a pop-up show. There you go. Eat that. And if it does, it gives a feedback loop. That hurt. My tummy's a bit sore. I don't need to eat that or as much of that next time. Um, but, you know, the gut microbes are running the show. You know, you look at, and we know this from humans, but you look at the horse who is, is predominantly a hindgut fermenter. His whole entire world re revolves around feeding his gut microbiome. You're not actually feeding the horse. You're feeding the gut microbiome mm. and keeping that healthy. So, um, so they are constantly sending feedback to the brain, um, you know, through the vagus nerve. And when we, in particular, but, and when we shut down movement, we also shut down so many branches of the vagus nerve. So then we've got a whole shutdown of that feedback loop going on. And then, of course, we really control that those feed times that can be actually quite different to what they would usually do um, in their natural setting. So they'll have feedbacks of about two to three hours. They'll go out, they'll chomp, they'll come back, they'll loaf around, they have a bit of a play, they might have a lie down. 
then they'll go back out and graze again. Um, and if it's hot during the day, they'll graze more during the night. And there's just this whole range of influencing factors that is, it's behavioral based. Yeah. So, you know, and this is what, and if we have a healthy nervous system, um, those lines of communication are naturally going to be more um, clear and more honest and more open um, to telling the horse what he needs. They're incredibly instinctual um, animals in terms of what they need to eat. It's just that, of course, in our environment, we're very restricted for the most part in what we can sort of provide. So they will go and overeat because they're looking for something, um, usually a micronutrient in their diet. They're searching for that in their diet that a certain plant might have, but that might eat in just that one plant and gorging on that one plant may cause issues with, you know, the gut microbiome that Mm. um, are just not ready to handle it. So. Yeah, and this is um, this is something we can all look at within ourselves as well. If it's a bit hard to kind of understand it for our horses, I remember doing this many years ago. I was um, having a stressful time, and I'd um, I'd sat down and I was talking to a friend of mine who was a herbalist, and she was saying, "Well, if I made your remedy, these are the things that I'd put in it." And anyway, I had finished my chat with her, and off I went, and I didn't have the time that day, and I said, "All right, I'll come back for it another time." And then I um, popped into a cafe on the way home and I was having a cup of tea and this guy said, oh, this is a new range of tea. Um, Can I show you? And I'm like, yes, you can. And he came and he sat down next to me and how fortuitous is this? And he read all the herbs that were in it. And they were the list of herbs that my friend had just said that she was going, would prescribe for me to have. So we have the innate ability to draw us to exactly what it is that we need. You know, I used to, when I was a personal trainer, I used to say to clients, go to the fruit and veg store, stand in front of them Mm -hmm. and see what your body's drawn to. It will tell you what it is that you need. And then after you've collected your things and gone home and nourished yourself and eaten them, then get onto Google. Google your symptoms, Google what it is you think you're lacking and then Google what it was in the foods that you just ate. You can do it. You know, you can do it. And the more you attune to it, the better you become at doing it. And so if you're able to grasp that as a, as a human, then you might be able to more easily translate and let go and surrender that um, ability and responsibility in your horse as well. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good that's a really good point. And I actually find that um, the more I've done some sort of one-on-one work with um, yoga nidra meditation and also some of the, the feminine embodiment yoga work with, um, with women, horsewomen in particular, and even just allowing ourselves to go into our own body and just seeing what's there for us. Um, because quite often we're, we're pretty shut out from that. And it can be you know, it can, it can be a color, it can be a feeling, it can be, um, it can be a thought process, it can be a sensation, and it, there will be a message behind that. Um, and when we sort of open up a space to just allow that messenger to come through, there's quite often the answer is right behind it. Um, it's just allowing ourselves to, to create that space to, to listen to what comes through. And a lot of the time, it, it makes no sense cognitively. It, it's kind of a bit Oh, that's a bit crazy. But if we just sort of allow ourselves to welcome that in, the the answer generally is is sort of right behind it. And 
when we, like you say, when we open that up for ourselves, it then just shifts every way we look at what we're then providing in the environment for our horses or our kids or our partners or um, our environment, really, our whole yeah. connection with environment. So um, it, the, the change starts within, and I know that's a very cliched um, term, but it, it really does. And, and the more we become aware of, what's going on for us, um, the more it, the empathy comes out and the compassion comes out to be able to see that in other people and, and maybe just, you know, for, for, for our horses in particular, just shift certain things in their environment. It doesn't have to be a whole farm rework. It doesn't have to be, oh, my God, I've got to go out and buy another horse for, you know, two grand or whatever. There just there are some things that we can just shift ever so slightly that make huge, a huge difference to um, the environment that our horses spend time in for the most mm. part. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, a, it's also about not, um, not discounting the emotional side as well. There's a wonderful human nutritionist called Dr. Libby Weaver and she's a nutritional biochemist and she's done like 11 years of uni and she's extraordinary. And she stands up there and she talks about the Krebs cycle and helped me to understand it, which I thought was impossible. And she talks about all these amazing things. And then at the end, she says, there's another pillar of nutrition that you need to understand. And it's the emotional side. She said, yeah. I've never had somebody with a nutritional deficiency, with any kind of issue around food in any way that hasn't had an emotional reason behind it. And unless you work on the emotional reason behind it, you cannot possibly do it with food alone. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what you're saying about horses. I love that you've brought that in. It's incredible. The, the great thing about horses, though, is that, yes, it's difficult to sort of go in and, and cognitively um, rewire things in terms of talk therapy. Um, but the beauty, um, sort of the beauty of it is, is they don't get stuck in the stories that humans like to get stuck in. So, you know, they, they don't have that cognitive oh my gosh, so this, when this happened last time and that, that just really hurt and, you know, I kind of, oh my gosh, this, this, they, they don't get stuck in the stories that humans love to get um, rutted deeply into. Yes, there will be an associative behavior with that, but it's not quite as entrenched as maybe um, some of the patterning that, that we can form in our own um, brains. There's still a certain degree of it, but their brain, de- their brain departments are slightly more focused on the amygdala they have the biggest amygdala and in domesticated species bar none so i mean they're obviously going to use that um a lot quicker than we would as a human who has a lot more sort of prefrontal cortex capacity so um you know that but definitely i think there's there's so much great research coming out now with the emotional lives of horses which i think of course as horse people we've always sort of known that um but now science is really catching up with that and giving us the science the good science behind just how incredibly perceptive and collaborative and wanting to please um our horses truly are and we don't need to go in with guns blazing and whips cracking and chasing them until they give up, you know, we've, our sort of house statistics are horrendous because we've got horses in there that are deemed crazy and nobody can get anywhere near. And it's, it's purely from a traumatized perspective um, that many of them end up in there. And, you know, we have a responsibility to, to change that. Um, yeah. Where do we start? Oh, we start right here. 
you know, in, in the, in the present moment and just uh, one of the sort of beautiful things that I work with um, in Iris Yoga Nidra is, is sort of an intention for our practice for that day. And I think if we actually just maybe stop, you know, as we're running from work and we're running to the barn and our horses are our escape, you know, all right, just stop and go, okay, what am I actually escaping from here? And what energy am I bringing to the barn? Because I can guarantee your horse already knows what energy it is before you've left work. Mm-hmm. And they will respond to that. And they are like sponges. They're taking that in all day, every day. And a classic example of this are equine karmas. This is one of the common things that I guess get asked about. The usage of equine calming supplements is in the region of 70%. Um, and that is um, across the board. That's not just pleasure horses, that's also performance horses. And it's also for quite routine things <laughs> um, that, that, you know, it's, that really are commonly trainable so things like clipping and loading and you know all of the stuff we should be able to do very collaboratively and gently and easily um, we want a common supplement for because it's creating an unwanted behavior and what I started to notice with a lot of people as I was working with them is that they actually you know I kind of had to say maybe you could do with taking a little bit of your own space to just stop and settle in to yourself before you run to the barn, grab your tack, pull them out of the field or out of the stall, jump on, run around the arena a few times, and then wonder why your horse is going, okay, where's the bear coming? There's a bear coming out. There's a tiger coming out because your nervous system is running the show. It's co-regulating that whole partnership. And that there's no supplement on the planet other than Valium is going to, you know, it's going to kind of tame that down. And we don't want to be going that route. So, um, Wow. That you know, there's yeah, there's a whole shift, a massive shift needed, and the awareness of what we're showing up with and what we actually want out of that partnership and relationship. If we could just spend a little bit more time in that, even five or ten minutes, and set an intention for the ride. Okay, today I'm just gonna be fully present with what is here. And maybe we'll do couple of extended trots down the long side and then we'll go out for a nice walk on a long rain that is my intention for this session might not hit that but at least you went in with a some idea of what the energy that you wanted to create in that session um with your horse and uh, they're just really subtle shifts that start to happen um when we just take that pause and check in with ourselves first and foremost because the horse is checking, he's checking all the time. What's happening? Are you all right? You know, he's constantly checking in with you because he's looking to you to give him information about his environment. So, what information are you giving him? Yeah, about all the stresses of your day. Um, and he wants to help you. I mean, they, they really, truly do want to. They really, truly do want to sort of live in a very synchronistic, collaborative. Um, herd environment and i think we're herd animals fundamentally and and when we connect back into that it's it's so incredibly beautiful wow so much and is that where the yoga comes into it is that helping people to shift back into their body to go deep within 
Yeah, that that really sort of came out of, like I said, seeing a lot of um, issues that I felt really needed to be solved, or not solved, but needed to be opened up a line of inquiry on the mat away from the horse. Um, and I'm very interested, I always have been very interested in um, the rider effect on the horse. I think there are a lot of people who actually focus on training the horse. Um, and you've got a rider up there who actually will, ha you generally, the patterns that I see are a real lack of proprioception in feet and hands. So we actually don't, aren't aware of where our hands and feet are in time and space. And this can be for a variety of reasons. So if we look at sort of um, horse riding in particular and falls and bangs and things like that, we can get lodged trauma that gets stuck in our bodies. And, and it can just kind of shut that, off. So, for example, I had a lady who had an issue trying to put um, to really get a nice deep heel or a, a, any weight down into her left um, leg, and it, and she'd had eventually it transpired she'd had um, an issue with it in her um, childhood years, and we we just took it off um, the horse and went on the mat and got out some of the um, the proprioceptive balls, just lovely soft therapy balls and just started to wake up the ball of the feet again, because our feet have incredible feedback. I mean, they're the top, you know, they're the bottom of our nervous system. They have incredible amount of information that needs to go back to our brain about where we are in time and space. Our horses are exactly the same. So this is why we have so many injuries when they're stuck in a stall and, and they're let out because they forget where their feet are in time and space. But um, mm. it's all so interrelated. It's not, it's mind blowing. Um, so yeah, so when we sort of um, get back into that where we belong in time and space, um, we work on interoception and proprioception, um, it shifts where we are in the saddle and then it allows us to give much clearer lines of communication to, um, to our horses. It, 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 yeah, it really is just... It's so beautifully interrelated. And I think when we take the pressure off ourselves to just come off the horse for a while, I do like a mat cat and chat session where we do yoga and then we get on and ride for a while and then we sort of debrief and um, answer any questions like, you know, does that bit work or is this saddle fitting right or what do I need to feed? Or it's quite sort of an open flow discussion. It just, um, it's just a lovely, gentle uh, line of sort of inquiry as to what's as to what's going on because it, they tend to all be really intermeshed. You know, a nutrition problem will have a much deeper. It tends to it tends to actually start in the in the pantry of the client that we're dealing with. So then we have to go into okay, so what do you you know kind of what are your what's your philosophy on food and 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 then we when we change that we also then help to shift their philosophy on food for their horse. So it's, um, yeah, it's, for me, it is a, it's a safe space of no expectation of non-judgment to just sit down and go, okay, what is actually coming up for you right here in this moment? Not what happened last week, not what might happen next week. What are we actually meeting right here and right now? Because this is all we have between the breath in and the breath out is actually the only truth that we have right here, right now. So let's just sit with that and go from there. Um, and it go, can go in so many different directions. It's a beautiful, um, it's a beautiful process. And that is the feminine. Yes. 
Yeah. They, yeah, we are incredibly, we can, yeah, you know, that's that whole feminine energy. There is just endless possibilities of, of um, creativity. And it just, so often we get stuck in that real repetitive, you know, 70% of what we are thinking about today, we're still worried about tomorrow at least. Yeah. Um, we, we just, we're, we're tracking, we're constantly tracking that cognitive overworking function. Um, and I am the, the queen of that, but I'm also very good at feeling things through my body. I'm very intuitively in touch with, um, with sort of what's going on. So I, for me personally, I have to do an embodiment practice every day. I have to come and sit on the mat and check in because other, if I don't, I get locked into this very toxic masculine over go, 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 got to mm -hmm. achieve. Um, and then I can get kind of stuck in that and that's never pretty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, but it's everywhere. It's absolutely yeah. and completely everywhere. Wow. It's a, it's definitely a contract. Um, it's definitely, it's not, it's not a contract. It's a daily devotional of, of saying this is a conscious, my conscious choice to connect to me every morning, even if it's just for five minutes. Um, yeah. And that's before everything else starts, before the phones get switched on, before, you know, the, the kids are up and going breakfast or, you know, before all of that, it's just those first few moments, what just happened into today. I feel a bit, mm, let's just see what go, you know, what comes I've got a bit on, maybe I can shift this around. So yeah, it's, and your soul and your psyche loves to be listened to. Um, you know, and I think we just, I have it's certainly collaborative as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've steamrolled God love her. I mean, she's so flipping loyal and dedicated and mm. will shout louder. You know, I've steamrolled over her for so many years. And especially in the academic and science world, I just obliterated all, all acknowledgement of any of that side of myself. Um, the sort of very um, esoteric, intuitive um you know sort of side of me um yeah and she just shouted louder until she kind of picked me up and chucked me on the floor in a pile and said all right I'm gonna listen now so. yeah <laughs> you can run but you can't hide yeah yeah mm. and you know I think I, once I realized I had an incredibly kick-ass ego on my side I kind of just chuckled one day and thought god i'm glad you're on my side you know yeah. um <laughs> you you got my back what, but you know you can step aside every now and then yeah and let me just um you know let go into into the unknown yeah we've become really quite terrified of um the unknown and uh, there's so much potential and opportunity in not knowing and just allowing ourselves to meet what is and what's coming up Mm. Oh, it's so beautiful. There's so much of what you're saying that is excites me in so many ways to know that this is coming through in the horse world. It's absolutely fantastic. I love it in every way. And, the, and you're right, you know, I think it's so beautiful that you have what you're doing this beautiful collaborative work where you're bringing together um, a whole array of, of horse people to who are opening up different doors, who are questioning how it's always been, who probably have been through the real nitty gritty of 
they're not so nice aspects of our industry themselves and have gotten to a point where they've gone, oh my gosh, I can't believe I taught so many people that or I damaged so many horses doing that. Or, you know, we really come to our knees when we're very heart-based and heart-led in our industry. And I see a lot of this, unfortunately, in my colleagues where we hit that real wall of burnout because we kind of realize the error of our of our ways but you know the horse is so incredibly forgiving and they they show up for us they show up for us every day again and again with the hope that you know all right is this human got is he actually got it today because yeah. i don't know how else i can say this yeah um you know and it's funny some people um when they email or message me and uh, say you know i listened to this one and i got it and you know, it, it's changed my life and they go to their horse and the first thing they hear from their horse is, oh, you've figured it out finally. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually do a meditation with that and I remember doing it for another, oh my gosh, you know, my ego's gone, this is just, this is ridiculous. This is, you know, just, this is just silly, but it's such a beautiful thing when you drop into that space of actually asking your horse what he is or she is trying to say to you because it comes in so softly and gently and sort of the expression on women's faces when it drops in is like, oh my gosh, you know, this is what came through. And and quite often it was maybe an inkling that they got, but they just didn't, they thought maybe, oh, it's just, no, that's just not, no, it can't be that. And it is, it's, it's just an incredibly creative yeah. and be- beautiful um, thing to witness and to facilitate space for us going in and and feeling ourselves because that's ultimately what it is it's not you know it's it's sort of the end of the guru age which is a great thing and it's it's empowering people in particular to to drop back into that innate instinctual wisdom and um, connection to our emotional physical um, feeling bodies that really is so needed and it's so incredibly powerful and effective and it heals the world I mean, it it really does. That's how big it is. So it's needed. And so thank you, especially for, um, for being there and, you know, bringing, bringing us together because it can be a very, very lonely journey. Um, Yeah. And that's the entire point. The entire point of this, of this is to say that we're not alone and we need to stick together all over the world. Um, People who are, you know, in remote areas, in middle of cities, you know, going to the barn every day, having people tell them that they're stupid for doing the things that they do and having the beliefs that they have. This is the, a safe space for people to drop right into that feminine, right into the, the new way of being and, um, and feel really safe. It's all about creating a safe space for us to do this work that you're speaking about on many, many different levels. Yeah, because when we create that, when we feel, it's like an activation. When we, this is kind of how I describe it to people, when you're held in that safe space, there's something activates in your nervous system that maybe got shut down or overwhelmed or, you know, put into hypo or hyper arousal at some point in time. And it's just reactivated a zone of safety that may never have been there for as long as we can remember. Um, And once it's been reactivated, there's no going back from that. And then we then go on to want to create that for our horses too. So we then start to look at his environment and say, 
oh, well, that's actually really not that safe because he can't run away because he's stuck in a stall. So he probably doesn't actually feel safe mm. stuck in a stall because you've I've taken away his primary, you know, response to, right, yeah. Yeah. to um, keep Amazing. himself safe. So Flight you just, flying, yeah. it, I mean, it really does. It just, it's like a melting away of all of these walls Boundaries are incredibly, uh, incredibly important, especially, um, in, you know, in this line of work, but, and, but they show where the door is. There's too many walls up. People have put up more and more walls. And, uh, yeah, it, and we start to look at that globally and sort of see the irony of it. But, um, yeah. you know, people are putting up walls. Boundaries are good because we can say this is, this is kind of my boundary and that's the door over there. And if you want to come through, this is what I need you to come through. Yeah. In order for me to feel safe, I need this. It comes yeah. back to safety. Boundaries are still about safety. You know, well, you know, and that's. I feel safe with you there. I feel safer with my space protected here. So that's what I need for myself right now. And the safety aspect from a nutritional point of view, there's, uh, and I, I would really like people to sort of understand this is that, we cannot nourish a system if that system does not know what it is to go into a safe rest and digest um, mode. So there's no, if we're running um, a high anxiety pattern in our horses and ourselves, there's no nutrition going in, there's no nourishment going in, there's no self-development going in, there's no learning going in. Safety is the, is establishing safety is the fundamental grassroots of really what we need to do and there's several ways we do that but safety absolutely is is paramount mm. it's if a we biggest want thing we learned in counseling as well when i trained in counseling it was creating a safe space is first nothing happens nothing goes forward nothing moves nothing shifts until a safe space is created and then then you work but it is absolutely the first thing you do for everything so it's yep. a really, really important thing if everyone, you know, listens to this and, and thinks, what's one thing that I can do? Just think about that, you know. It's yeah, and, and for a horse, the rest. For a horse, that's establishing, you know, forage, friendship and freedom um, as, as closely as you possibly can in, in the situation that you're in. Um, mm. If they want one thing that they can do, and quite often that shifts. That shifts so much. Because then yeah. safety happens and everything else mm -hmm. can rest and do what it needs to do. It's so logical. I know. And that's a beautiful, healthy masculine. It's the log that's the logistics of it, you know. That is, um, that's, that's a great example of healthy masculine um, in action. Um, mm. Yeah, we've got to have, we can't all just run around and, you know, creating on the spur of the moment it's great to do that but there does have to be some quite um you know the sun still comes up every morning it doesn't just go oh well today i just don't oh i just feel so creative i'm just actually not going to come up today yeah which happens in the uk a lot but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know there there is that and the sun is a very masculine energy it shows up every day and the moon follows behind which is a much more feminine energy so there, there are energies through you know throughout our whole entire existence that once we tap into them we realize that's all we are just energetic beings and you know we ha we can create that we can create our energy and we do and um, we do whether we want yeah. to or not we <laughs> yes. are so we may yes. as well create it in a way where we feel good about it and we understand it and 
and not that we want to be in control of it, but we have an awareness about it more so and, a, and an empathy with it. Mm, yeah, very relational, very relationship orientated um, feel to it. You know, what is, what's our relationship to the, the ground that we walk on, the air that we breathe? Do we take it for granted? Do we, um, you know, see the bigger picture of what's going on? And yeah, it's, there's so many rabbit holes there are and I think that's the beauty of um, sitting often sitting in a field and and just having your horses around you to just allow some space to to sort of let the rabbit holes come up and invite you down so yeah yeah because yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in them their horses as well they've got a lot to teach us and um, do you work with people I know you work with people in person but can you work with people online as well Yes. So um, I do, especially with the, um, the Iris Yoga Nidra, which is a beautiful um, modality. We can, uh, what tends to come up with that is there'll be something that comes up as a kind of um, an issue and we can work on that much deeper one-in-one um, over Skype or Zoom or sort of whatever people um, prefer to use. But I have actually done mostly online work because I was mentoring for the University of Edinburgh for um, a couple of years as well. So I have been mostly online for the past few years. But this year, I really am delving into my connections, into sort of my um, forage friendship freedom pillars. And and this one is the friendship thing. This one's about the connections and the, the more intimate local connections and going out more into the field locally here this year um but yes definitely online has been my world um for a little bit too long so mm. so now i'm really looking forward to actually getting my fingernails really dirty again and um yeah getting my boots muddy and going to to meet some of the the lovely establishments and people and horses that we have around here i've worked with quite a, you know a few here and there but it's just time to get out and mm. Um, create more. I, I, my my aim this year is to really delve into the finding the feminine. So that's bringing women together, encouraging women to start their own circles of I call it the sisterhood. Um, to even go off and then create their own circles where they're trying to bring in their their resources that are around them. You know, their their hay manufacturers, their um, people who might need to, they might need to borrow a float from to, to go somewhere or just to start actually collaborating and going and meeting neighbors and, and bringing that community um, feel back into the horse world again. Um, there, there are going to be people who don't want to go there and that's fine. But I think, you know, just to allow people to, to sort of get that ball rolling, I think is really important. Um, especially in a country like Australia, you know, we're just, where it's like a small country, but so spread out. So the, there is still a very strong community feel, um, but I just think it needs reconnecting a little bit um, more than it has been. Definitely. And so. everything that's coming out lately, this connection is the most important thing in every way for um, both human and horses, I guess. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to be creating. Yeah. So we can find you. I'll have all your links in the show notes um, and you have a website. I do. It's down for um, procrastination tackling because I'm not that good on the whole. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, yeah, but it is because I've had to sort of take off and, and let go of a lot of things. That, like I, you know, I said to you, it's just a big pile of 
tack and things in the middle of the, of the mm. floor and it's it's cleaning it and putting it back together and deciding um you know what needs to be hung up and what needs to be chucked out so um facebook and instagram are kind of my hangouts at the minute but i will be focusing more on the website once it's back up and running because um just because you know facebook can get a little bit um picky about who it lets in through the door and i'm not too keen on that whole method of control so yeah if people yeah, come yeah. on if people want to come to my barn i want it to be a place they can you know come and, and sit find and you yeah have a cup of tea and a and a, a conversation so yeah that'll be sort of my focus Fantastic. for this year um and yeah i'm looking forward to meeting a lot more of the the ladies and gentlemen and horses out there Wonderful. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about uh, creating a little group up here in the Sanford Valley as well. I've already had a few people reaching out, so it's already happening here, and I'm so excited because I don't have to, um, I don't have to vet people as to how they treat their horses because they listen to the podcast and they're contacting me. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for God's sakes, drop in, can you please? Here's my address. Here's my number. Please drop in. I need more of you in my life because I already know we're on the same page. So um, I agree. It's it's a big part of why I'm doing this as well. Around that yeah. And it's such a, I think, you know, we feel that in our bodies. We feel that connection and our nervous system goes, oh, okay, I don't have to explain this yes. whole thing. Yes. I don't have don't just have to find myself. De- yeah, exactly. No defense is needed here. It's all, we're all on the same page, which is a great relief. Yeah, and all doing different things. Some people are out, um, you know, they love showing. Some people love dressage. Some people like me aren't even riding their horses yet. We're still in the discovery stage, you know, all different people, but we're on the same page and it's lovely. So, um, And that, that I think is a beautiful thing, you know, to see as well, the biodiversity of what we can do with our horses. There's so many women that say, oh, my gosh, I don't want to compete. And I'll say, but you don't have to compete. But then why, why do I need a horse? What, why, I need to compete if I've got a horse. And I say, no, you, no, you, this is your relationship. How do you want it to look? And quite yeah. often I get a lot of sort of what I call encore equestrians that have been in the industry when they're younger have left for you know kids careers and and are coming back in again and they're overwhelmed with how it needs to look now and it's nothing like it was when I was a kid and you know do I need all this stuff and I just kind of go no how do you want it to look you know how do you um and yeah and just take some of that pressure off because it's great I think that we have this whole array of um, this whole spectrum of people wanting to do different things there's the ones who are in the arena that really want to bring a change to a much needed change to what's happening in the arena there's ones who just want to you know have them at home and really have a beautiful relationship with them and not necessarily ride you know there's a whole spectrum there now which I think is fantastic um, mm. because it, it helps us question our own paradigms and our own you know ruts that we got stuck in so it's a great thing to have um beautiful oh i love it i love it i could talk to you for days jane but we better wrap it up i know so um but we'll we'll definitely um i always say you know where i know that everyone that i talk to on this podcast isn't 
anywhere close to there yet. You know, they're doing such deep and beautiful work, but everyone's like, oh my God, this is just a level. So mm. we'll always keep in touch and we'll always um, touch base again when the next level comes up because you guys are all leaders of this type of um, horsemanship, um, horsewomanship. Um, mm. And it's important to just every level there is that we, we keep talking about it and keep going there together so so we can see um see the way that we could go so thank you so much for your time today but mostly thanks for what you do for horses you know i've had so many things come back to me now about lives that have changed from from people telling their story and listening to this podcast so thanks for all you do on the ground with the people you meet and the people online and thanks for sharing this today because i know it's going to make a difference thank you thank you so much to connect with jane you just go to the show notes and click on the links there. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.